0: i am cliff cadet and welcome to episode 27 of when the hunt calls now the last couple of weeks um i've been interviewing some folks that i thought it would just be cool to introduce y'all to um just in case you didn't know them you know what i'm saying i hope you guys have been enjoying the conversations and whatnot but i want to get back to the educational aspect of this podcast and i'm starting with this particular episode and with this guest now Um, If you're a seasoned hunter, and even if you're not, you actually might know my guest as a professional wildlife photographer. And you've probably seen his work on the cover of many hunting magazines. Most recently, the July issue of Peterson's Bowhunting Magazine. Me, I just think this dude is a straight up ninja in the woods. So, ladies and gents, here's my conversation with Lance Kruger. Alright, ladies and gents, on the line with me is Mr. Lance Kruger. Um, did I pronounce that correctly?
1: Yes, you did. Perfect.
0: All right. Awesome. Listen, I am I am honored um, and really, really stoked to to have you, you know, on the podcast with me right now. Um, I listened to you a little over a year ago on another podcast on um, the Bryantland podcast, the Bryantland show now. Um, and I immediately went on to Instagram, started following you. I'm a huge fan of your work. Um, so, please, um, you know, take a minute, take 20 minutes, whatever you'd like, explain to my listeners, um, you know, what exactly is it that you do that has me so uh, in awe?
1: Well, uh, basically, how I've made my living for the last 25, uh, 30 years is um, I'm a wildlife photographer. I primarily photograph white deer, turkeys, bass fishing. I do elk and mule deer and other things, but my primary thing I photograph is white-tailed deer that's what I've uh, gotten to be known for over the years uh, through my published photos in the national hunting magazines and um, you know my passion first and foremost is whitetail deer a close second is uh, you know photographing wild turkeys and uh, just absolutely love that but I'm a dedicated bass fisherman bass fish since I was a little kid my dad was a big bass fisherman and and uh, thought I might be a professional bass fisherman as a career uh, at one point in my life, but decided to do the wildlife photography thing um, and been doing that since I was 16 years old. I'm 51 years old now, so I've been doing it for 35 years and, um, you know, been uh, getting stuff published since I was 19. So that's what uh, uh, 26 years or whatever that is or uh no. I don't even know how many years that is. but it's <laughs> Listen, a long time. Li- leave it. I mean, suffice it to say
0: you're a true OG in this game, basically. And have it a while. Yeah. yeah, I can definitely respect that. Um, I would have never thought, though, I mean, looking, looking at your pictures and how um, you photograph, you know, this wild game so well, that bass fishing was really what, you know, where your heart lies. Um, do you do any hunting though? Any like de- uh, white-tailed deer hunting? Any turkey hunting?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, I've I've hunted uh, not as long as I've be- uh, fished because uh, my dad started me. You know, my first fishing trip was when I was three years old, um, wow. catching bluegills at you know at the at the lake kind of thing with uh, earthworms and and that kind of thing. Uh, they didn't have Snoopy rods back then, but uh, probably you know, <laughs> something kind of like that. But, uh, yeah, I've hunted since, uh, I was probably, you know, 10 years old, uh, dove hunting here in Texas. And, um, you know, I've shot my first, white uh, white-tailed deer at 15, 16 years old. Um, you know, bow hunted deer, uh, hunted them with gun, hunted them with shotgun, hunted them with musk, uh, muzzle loaders. Um, I've hunted all over the United States and Canada um and just love it uh, i've hunted white uh, turkeys uh in several states around the united states in missouri kentucky tennessee various states uh including texas and uh i've, I've uh, photographed five of the six subspecies of, of uh wild turkeys um the only mm-hmm. one i haven't photographed is the oscillated down in campeche mexico Belize, and guatemala Mm -hmm. Um, but i photographed all the others and um have hunted two of the subspecies uh the eastern i've shot several of those um and uh uh, hunted uh turkeys in texas and killed a couple of those uh and my biggest turkey actually was with uh mark drury uh who has you know drury you know the drury brothers and uh have that turkey a 25 pounder i shot in in missouri that he called in for me uh here in full strut here in my office so that was uh um back when i was in my 20s but um anyway love you know hunting uh was a hunter before i was a photographer and because of all the hunting magazines uh that we were subscribed to as a kid i always remembered looking at the photos thinking i would love to shoot photos like what i see in the magazines never knowing that i would ever do that kind of thing and and um so anyway i got a got a camera when i was 16 years old and just wanted to shoot photos on the ranch that my dad was managing at the time and uh you know just did it for fun and it ended up people started liking my stuff and telling me i should you know other professional photographers were saying man you should send those into magazines that looks like something you'd see in the magazines and so it started from there so just just uh, kind of kind of gotten out of hand and uh now it's uh, <laughs> been my living since i was uh 20 24 years old uh full time for 26 nice. years
0: now nice
1: now um the thing
0: is being new to hunting and and coming from new york, new york city i'm not necessarily familiar with a lot of the hunting publications could you let me know uh, or let me and my listeners know um do you know what publications have like could we find your pictures in on a regular basis or, or covers, I should say, cause I know your, your work definitely warrants being, um, cover photos.
1: Well, I've, I've been published over the years in most every hunting, uh, national hunting magazine down to state and regional magazines. Um, I kind of started with the, you know, the state magazines here in Texas and then moved to the regionals and the South and Southwest Um, and then moved to the small nationals and medium nationals. And now I'm at the large national, uh, magazine uh, stage that I sell to. Um, but, uh, two of my primary clients that I've had, uh, you know, 30 something, 35 covers with field and stream and outdoor life. Those are two of my main clients and, um, you know, have a lot of covers with them. Um, I've, you know, and also inside, you know, not just the covers, uh, but, uh, uh right now currently i have the cover of peterson's bow hunting uh the july 2020 issue out right now mm-hmm. uh, of a white-tailed buck in a soybean field that i photographed in ohio and um you know have had uh photos in buckmaster's magazine La- last year i had all the buckmaster's covers uh from july through december which they run 6 months of the year and i had all six of their covers uh for 2020 uh 2019 um, and, um, you know, I've been published in just about all the others. So that's, uh, that's kind of a start there to kind of give you an idea of uh, where all I've been published.
0: Nice. Nice. Well, you know what? Um, I'm going to jump right into honestly, what I really want to know and what I believe, you know, the newer hunters like myself who listen to my podcast and even the season hunters, I'm looking at, uh, you, you know, your cover photo on Peterson's bow hunting, right? Right. And I look and I look at this picture and it's a beautiful book, a beautiful like one I can only dream of seeing, you know, out here in New York. Um, and I, I got to wonder, like, how you capture these photos, because I feel like, um, you know, that's probably hunting for you in itself. You know what I'm yes. saying? So um, i got to ask if I mean, if you don't mind sharing, are you getting like that close to the animals that you you photograph or do you use like a tel- I, I hope I'm using the word right telescopic lens you have saying like how do you how do you get these men
1: well um i i do use telephoto lenses and telephoto. Um, all right there you go. yeah there you go that's the proper term uh, yeah. but uh anyway um the lenses that i use people have you know for you know for most people they don't realize how unpowerful these lenses are these are basically the lenses that i use are the you know white lenses that you see on the sides of football games you know professional football games and basketball games and stuff like that these are telephoto lenses um but one of my primary lenses that i use is a 300 millimeter uh canon lens and it's basically the same magnification as a 6x rifle scope or 6x binoculars um wow. the the next lens that i use i have a bigger lens which is a 500 millimeter lens uh, which is basically like a 10x ma- uh, magnification uh, uh, rifle scope or binoculars which you know as you know that magnifies things in 10 times but you know to get it filling the frame you've still got to have you know that animal within 50 yards or so with a 500 millimeter lens um, the buck that I had on the cover of, uh, have on the current cover of uh, Peterson's bow hunting, I had uh, with a 300 millimeter lens, and he was probably at about 20 to 25 yards away. So that's wow. where most of my photos are, is at bow hunting range. Um, and I'm getting them not because I'm sneaking up on the deer. I do very little of that. I'm six I'm two, I'm a big, big old Texan. Um, so I don't do a lot of that kind of uh, sneaking up on them. I do occasionally if I feel like that's the best situation, uh, like a spot and stalk kind of deal. But mm-hmm. I would say probably 90% of my photos that I get published are taken out of blinds, out of pop-up really? blinds or permanent right. blinds um, that are already on the property. Um, so anyway, so in that situation there, I had uh, some bucks coming into a out of a cornfield into a, a soybean field, and uh, you know they had just shed their velvet out a few days before. This was uh, early September, and I had a, a blind set up, you know, there on the edge of the soybean field where I knew that you know after multiple days of you know trying to figure these deer out, that that was kind of the hot spot of that field, and just uh, set up the blind after moving it a few times. And, uh, got, you know, got that photo of that buck and, um, you know, it took a lot of, a lot of time to get to that point and, um, you know, to be able to, you know, get the photo, get the blind up where he was coming out and, um, was able to get that cover shot.
0: Nice. Nice. So can I ask, do you, cause it's like, I'm, I'm playing this out in my head and I'm wondering, um, do you do any scouting? like when, when you potentially know, all right, this is the subject I know, um, for this particular shoot, I, I want to get some, some white tail deer and I want to go to, you know, uh, some random city or state, um, you know, saying, and do you scout prior to, uh, to getting to that location?
1: Yeah, it depends on the property, uh, depends on what kind of Intel, um, I have access to. Um, if, you know, if I if there's a landowner there that you know has out trail cameras, or if there's hunting guides on the property, uh, if it's a, a hunted type property, I'll talk to the people there. Um, I'll talk to anybody that you know is is going into the into the property. I'll talk to the 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 mailman. You know, if he's uh, you know driving through the area and I'm trying to find out where deer are and that kind of stuff. So I will I will rely a lot on you know local intelligence as far as you know, what deer are coming in where, um, if deer, you know, if, if a landowner has, you know, feeders on his property, um, you know, I'll, uh, you know, see if he's got trail cameras and I'll look at the trail camera photos and see what deer are coming in, what time they're coming in, if they're totally nocturnal, you know, what the situation is and evaluate, you know, what I've got, you know, the best chance of trying to photograph, Uh, But I do also spend a lot of time, you know, in observation stands um, or just hidden, you know, in fields trying to see what's coming in, trying to see where the deer are coming out, um, you know, and see, you know, where I should try to, you know, set up my blind. And then, you know, I'll let the thing sit there for a few days and then, you know, um, maybe uh, sit in it and then say, you know what, it's not the right place. I need to be 20 yards to the right or 50 yards closer or, you know, whatever the situation is. And until i get things tweaked and um you know that's how i kind of figure out where to you know where to photograph and how i get my photos and every day i'm trying to make things better and better and uh, tweaking things until you know i'm getting what i'm wanting
0: nice now let me ask you because I, I just uh, caught on to something you said about um leaving your blind out for a few days um and then moving it when you you figure you need to be let's say 20 yards to the right you said is there a reason why you leave your blind out for a couple of days before you move it
1: yeah it it takes a deer in my experience it takes a deer at least three days to get used to a blind you know sitting somewhere um because i don't always have my blinds set up you know like in the in the woods or on the edge of woods on a big field like if there's a big soybean field uh that's you know 100 acres in size Uh, where the deer are 200 yards away or whatever the situation is, I'm not going to get any good photos at 200 yards away. They're going to be little tiny brown dots in my photos. Even with my big telephoto lenses, those lenses don't magnify something 200 yards away to get a frame, filling shot. So I've got to physically get myself closer to them or bring the deer to me. But in a soybean field, there's really no way to bring them to you any closer. So you've got to go to them. And so... what I try to figure out is where they're coming out, you know, because in the, you know, early season, you know, when they're coming into soybean fields, you know, eating the leaves uh, in velvet or right after they shed their velvet, they're, you know, coming out real consistently at a certain time of the day, they're on a pattern. And so you can kind of figure out where they're coming out. They'll come out of the same trail almost every afternoon. And um, so you can kind of figure out where they're going to be coming out. And so I'll set a blind up, and they'll know that something's different about that. And they're they're checking it out, you know, in the afternoon, they're checking it out at night. They're they're gonna get downwind of it, smell it, try to figure out if there's a human in there. And so it takes them a few days before they say they tell themselves, okay, that's not a threat to me. And so they'll, you know, they'll, you know, try to try to get to know the blind and you know spend time around it to figure out what this new blob is in their soybean field that wasn't there the day before. And so I like to leave them there a week if I can. A week is better than 3 days, but in my experience after 3 days I'll start, you know, having success where they start, you know, letting down their guard and they won't they won't be afraid of it. You know, they'll be a little bit spookier of it or a little more aware of it at 3 days compared to 5 days, but letting the blind sit there and what I call soak for a while Or just let it sit there without me sitting in it at all. Because if I go and set up a blind and try to sit in it and they get downwind of me and they smell, you know, human scent or whatever, they're going to be freaked out by it. Because they're going to know associate a human with that that blind. And so I'm trying to just let it sit there, let the, you know, scent kind of dissipate off of the fabric and that kind of stuff, and just let them kind of get used to it, smell it throughout the night, and, you know, just decide, okay, this isn't, you know, harmful to me. And so I, you know, I like to let it sit there as long as possible. But you know, I'm, you know, only in certain areas for a certain amount of time. And so, I, if I let it sit there for three days, and I'm only there for five, I know that I'm only going to have two days of photography in that blind.
0: All right. So let me ask in your experience. All right. So let's say, um, for example, that most recent picture you put up a blind in that in that soybean uh, field. Um, Do you believe that, um, you know, after they get kind of not desensitized to it or but more familiar with the blind being there and then once you're in the blind and they're not worried, do you believe that you can go back to a um, a location, you know, two, three, you know, four more times because um, the deer now when they see the blind again, they don't associate it with any kind of danger?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I'll sit in a blind, you know, for three, four days in a row. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, they, they, you know, have no idea I'm in there because of one of the one of the things that to me has been one of the most revolutionary um, things as far as technology helping out my photography. Uh, and that has always been, you know, the, the ever, you know, existing problem that I've had over the years is deer smelling me. And they would get Mm. downwind of you and smelling you. And one of the things that I started using back in 2011, actually that I started using uh, when I shot that photo, um, was a uh, product called uh, Ozonics, uh, which is an ozone generator that I use that basically totally scrubs and oxidizes and deodorizes human scent and basically kills it. And uh, that, since I've been using that, I have had so much more success where I can set up a blind based on the best lighting angle, the best background, and not have to totally be thinking about what the best wind direction is. Now I don't have to worry about wind direction because of the ozone unit. And I can just pay attention to what the best photo is. And so by using that, they don't smell me when I'm in the blind. And so, you know, with the ozone generator, I'm able to sit in a blind day after day after day and don't worry about blowing it out because, or or the deer, you know, uh, getting, you know, burned in, you know, in that area because they'll smell me and they'll think, oh no, there's a human there and they won't come back for a few days. With this thing, they don't smell me, so they don't know a human's in there. So I will, you know, I'll go and sit in a blind in that situation there. I sat in that blind every day for several days and i would move the blind sometimes 10 yards 20 yards to be able to get the right angle that i needed and you know and you know i had it in the general area and then i'd kind of tweak things day to day and if you if they're used to it and it's moved a few a little bit they're fine with it but you know if you make big moves on it you're gonna have to let it sit there for a few days um but by me using the ozone generator and me being careful about movement in my camera uh, and me, you know, using the techniques that I use inside the blind. So they don't detect me inside the blind. Um, basically they, they don't get freaked out by it. If you did a lot of movement or something and they saw you moving or something, uh, they'd be freaked out by that. Or if they, you know, smelled you, um, you know, or any of their three senses, if you made a bunch of noise, bunch of racket inside, you know, they would, you know, freak out, no humans in there. And they would take off, so you'd have to kind of start all over and let them get used to the blind again with you with you not in it. But if you don't nice. have let them have any of those three senses that are you know going to make them be aware or scared of of you know that blind, then you know they'll just get used to it more and more, even though you're sitting in it. Nice. All right. So Ozonics scent control got it. Now, yeah. what
0: do you do? What do you do by ways of camo, like um. To limit well, them to seeing you,
1: like, do you wear anything in particular, or is yes, it pr- primarily just the blind. Well, I, I'm, I. What I don't do is I don't camo, but I use no a different camo? type of camo. All right. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> the the problem is most people have the idea that you sit in a blind and the can and the blind is camouflaged on the outside. It's got real tree or mossy oak or whatever. Yeah. The problem is is that you. You are inside the blind and you don't want to look like the outside of the blind You want to look like the inside of the blind which inside of the blind if you look around is black in color They put a black layer Mm. On the inside of the blind and so what they're what they're what the concept is by them doing that in the blinds Is that they are wanting you to blend in with the shadows the further away you are from the the windows uh, and the less light that is in there, the more that the you're going to blend in with the, the darkness inside and the deer aren't going to be able to see you. And so what I do is I try to camo out with the blackness inside. And so I wear black clothes, black shirt, T-shirts if it's early season. I'll wear black jackets, um, you know, like black fleece jackets. Um, I'll use black headnets, black gloves. Um, I'll put black tape on my cameras and lenses so that they blend in with the darkness inside. Um and I I put up these curtains that are made of this leafouflage type stuff that I'll put up right up against the windows um, and basically clip it on with like a, a clothespin onto the front edge of the windows so that the deer's eye will adjust to the basically that opening um in the window. And they won't just see like a black hole. They'll see that camo netting and that's where their eyes will adjust for that. They won't see the me further on inside in the shadows. And by putting those curtains up, it will darken things down even more and not have so much brightness coming inside and revealing my movements or me being inside. So I black out everything. So you want to black out and camouflage yourself like the inside of it. The only camouflage that I will use on my camera is on my lens hood that is actually sticking out past the curtains. I will put that put camouflage tape on that so that it blends in with the outside of the uh, of the blind. But that's because it's outside the blind. I'm not mm-hmm. inside the blind, or I'm not outside the blind. I'm inside, so I'm wanting everything behind the lens hood, all my my lens and everything behind that to be as as dark as possible. That's inside those little curtains that I put up. Mm-hmm. But, uh, with a, with a bow hunter, um, you don't have to do that. That's, that's a nice thing. I have to be up right up at the front edge of the window because I have to be able to, you know, have, uh, you know, follow action and photograph, you know, like if two bucks are fighting, running back and forth, pushing each other around to be able to pan left and right, to be able to photograph the the action of the deer going back and forth. I'm not just looking for one shot. I'm trying to shoot a bunch of shots and sequences to show the deer walking in or making a scrape or doing whatever. Um, but a bow hunter doesn't have to use the curtains over the windows. Like I do, you can just basically move yourself to the back edge of the blind and get as far away from that window and that light source of the, of the light coming into that window and wear black clothing and you'll blend in with the back edge of the, uh, of the, of the blind and be able to shoot through the window and have no problem. So basically bow hunters can do the same thing as I do. I just have to change things up a little bit. And so I've come up with this um, concept where I, you know, use these little uh, curtains made out of leaf of uh, to kind of trick a deer's eye because I am at the very front edge of that blind. I've got most of the blind behind me. There's nothing, you know, there's like, you know, three or four feet of room behind me in a blind where I'm right up at the front edge with my tripod set up. And my camera set up on top of the tripod with the lens sticking out, you know, the the lens hood sticking out past those camo curtains. There's another wow. thing that <laughs> um, with blinds that I I use as a philosophy, and that is the L-shaped uh, design of not using anything, any not having any windows open that is anything more than an L. If you look at a blind from the top, like you're you're looking at it from an aerial view, um, you've got, you know, basically four windows, one mm. in front of you, one to the left, one to the right, and one behind you. Um, and I never, ever open up more than two windows when I'm in a blind. And that always has to be, if I have two windows open, I prefer having only one window open. The less light you have coming inside the less chance you have of being seen and it the the light lighting you up inside because of you know everything trying to black out inside. Mm. So what I do is if I cannot if I want to try to photograph in two directions, let's say that I've got, you know, two angles that are good for a deer coming in, um I will not open up blind windows that are across from each other, like in an eye shape, you know, from, from like, you know, the front to the back, I won't open up those windows. I only do it in an, in an L shape. And what that is, is like, if you're looking at your blind overhead, you know, the top long part of the L is right. in front of you and the L can be to the, you know, the bottom part of it is to the left or the right of where you're sitting. And Got so that, that, so that you always have something behind you, so that the deer won't detect your movement inside because if you have windows on opposite sides that are opened up they'll see the silhouette of you moving around between those two bright sources between the front opening and the back opening or if you've got the left open and the right open windows then they can see through that blind and see your movement against the brightness of the window behind you. And so I, I will, all at most, I'll have two windows open, which it, which can be the front window and the left window or the right window. I will never have, the you know, both left and right open because they'll see you moving between the left and right. Okay, so I will, you know, that L can either be to the right or to the left of my position. I'll have my main shooting position out the front, and I'll have either the left window open or the right window open, but never both. So that... If they see you from the right through the white right, right window, you have the left window closed and it's blacked out behind you, so they can't see you moving, you know, from right to left.
0: Mm-hmm. Or
1: if they're in front of you, they can't see you against you know the back of the blind because you're blending in with the black of the of the bond, uh, the black back of the blind, and so they can't see you. There's no silhouette between the two windows.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow. So
1: anyway, so that's what I call the L-shaped theory of of uh you know windows open in my blinds i never have anything more than an l i won't have at a a, a, a or a cross you know where they can ever see you you know from one side to the other because you're I, always I, able to blend in with the black uh clothing and stuff and blackout techniques that i use you know from one window to the uh to the other they can't ever see you
0: got it got it Nice. I appreciate those tips, um, especially when it comes to, to camouflaging, you know, uh, uh, silhouette. Now, right. is ever, is ever, um, I guess, two things I'm, I'm curious about. Are you ever concerned about the glare of your lens? Um, and does, does, if, does your camera make, um, does the shutter click when you take your pictures? If it does, is there a way you try to minimize that sound?
1: Well, as far as the glare of the lens, are you talking about the, um, the exterior of it or the actual glass, um, reflecting the glass reflecting? Like if it happens to be the sun's going down,
0: you know what I'm right. saying? And, and then God, you know, you have a, you have this subject in front of you, this animal in front of you and the light happens to hit the, you know, the camera lens just at that moment or anything like that. Is there a way that you reduce that glare
1: or? Well, what basically what I have on my on my lenses is what I, what I referred to earlier as a lens hood, and it's basically oh, okay. like a baseball cap that we wear to basically keep you know light from hitting our eyes where we can't really see, because mm-hmm. it's you know ma- you know it's what's called flare where you know the sun's coming in and you got all these sun spots and stuff where you can't really see real clearly. Well, mm-hmm. a, a camera lens because you're shooting horizontal photos. And you can turn it any direction, vertical or whatever. Um, They have basically a round uh, lens hood that is like a baseball cap. But our baseball cap is only over our head because we're not turning our head left to right or whatever. You know, uh, like our ear, you know, left ear on our shoulder or something like that. So what, what they have is a hood that goes all the way around. It's a round hood that totally surrounds the lens. And so that keeps sun from going in and basically reflecting off of the lens. Um, And if the light is hitting the lens anyways, you're going to have so much flare that you're probably not going to be seeing the subject anyways. So, um, so that's not really been a problem. A lot of times I'll have, you know, the sun behind me um, to light up the subject. Um, And as it's going down and if it's super low, so it's so low that it goes below the lens hood, um, you're going to have, you know, you're going to have some flare there, but usually it's like late evening right at sunset or early in the morning sunrise and the light the sun isn't as intense because it's cutting through the atmosphere uh, above the earth and so that's why you get the oranges and the reds and the golds of sunrise and sunset is because Mm -hmm. of all the the sun cutting through at an angle through the atmosphere that is basically dust and water particles that, um, well, basically that's why it turns the sun and makes it look so big because it's an optical illusion that makes the sun look larger at sunrise and sunset because it's going through all those, all those, uh, dust particles and water particles and why it makes the sun look orange and red and all that kind of stuff as it gets later in the day. Middle of the day when it's right above you, uh, at noon, it, you know, it looks tiny. The sun looks tiny compared to, you know, at sunrise and sunset. Have you noticed that? Yeah. Well, that's because of the optical illusion of the, um, you know, the atmosphere and the dust, dust and uh, uh, water particles. You'll notice on windy days, you'll have better sunsets because there's more dust up in the air to give that, you know, optical illusion. And it makes the sun look even bigger on those days. Um, oh, so wow. when it's like that, it kind of cuts the light. And so that's why, you know, the lighting gets, you know, uh, softer. It gets uh uh, not as as bright and harsh at sunrise and sunset because it's it's basically cutting through all that atmosphere and it kind of filters out the the you know intensity of the light and so it's not going to you know reflect off the inside excuse me off the inside of the lens off the glass because it's not as intense like middle of the day so that's it. that's part of your question about the reflection so i really don't you know, I just have a lens hood on there, which basically mm-hmm. keeps my lens from being visible to the deer as far as any reflection off the glass. What was, what was the other part?
0: Um, The the camera you use, does it have, I mean, does when you snap the photo, does it make any noise like a shutter click or something okay. like
1: that? Yes, that, that's, that is a, you know, career long problem that I've had with my cameras and they're much better than they used to be. Back, Mm -hmm. you know, 20 years ago, I was using manual, uh, focus lenses that are manual cameras that had, that I was using slide film back in the days. They weren't digital. Mm -hmm. And, um, I was always having the problem of deer hearing the shutter and the motor drive go off. And, uh, when I'd have to rewind film, I would, I would take, you know, a coat, even if it was in the middle of summer and wrap the camera up in my coat and rewind the film. So it wouldn't spook the deer off. Um, wow. which it was, it was only partially helpful, um, with digital cameras nowadays, um, I don't have to rewind film, uh, but the cameras are very noisy with the, you know, when, when it fires the photo off. So it, it does spook deer off. And so even, even nowadays, uh, when I'm on a place that is you know, heavily hunted and the deer are extremely spooky of any kind of sounds, um, I basically have to wait until the deer gets in exactly the spot that I want. And not just be able to just photograph it as long as I want. I've got to wait a lot of times for that deer to hit the exact, you know, spot where he's in the perfect light and the perfect background before I take one shot. Because I know if I take one shot, um, even uh, with a motor drive, that he'll usually, you know, if he's walking in, let's say, and Mm -hmm. he will have his head, you know, like halfway down. I'll fire it off when he gets to the spot where I want him to, to stop. I'll fire it off. And my camera uh, on, a, on the quiet mode that it has will shoot about three frames per second. And so, which is very slow compared to normally, because usually it'll shoot eight to 10 frames a second or even, you know, faster than that. So, what I do is I'll shoot one shot and he'll hear that, put his head up with his ears erect. I'll get the second shot. Mm-hmm. And then the third shot is usually him running off with him swinging around, just a blurred shot of him. Swinging around running away So I'll only get one good shot um, and so um, Also with one of the cameras that I use uh, It's the Canon 5d mark IV. it has a uh, Silent continuous advance shutter on it that basically slows the camera down instead of shooting like eight frames a second It'll only shoot like three frames a second, but it, it shoots much much quieter And that's the quietest of all the all the Canon camera bodies that I found so far um, that uh, like they have the 1DX Mark II and the 1DX bodies that are very, very fast. They're like action cameras. That's the ones that a lot of sports photographers use. And I use also in certain situations Mm -hmm. where the deer aren't spooky, but um, the those cameras are very, very loud. They have no quiet mode on them. And, uh, or they, some of them do, but they're not very quiet at all. There's very, very little difference in, in noise level. So I use that camera specifically when I'm photographing deer that are very sensitive to any kind of noise, uh, because they'll, they'll, you know, run away from that just like they will with a bow and arrow that, that, you know, with the string noise where you, you know, say they jump the string. Well, they'll do the same thing with a camera, just the noise of the camera. And when a deer is jumping the string, they're not actually, you know, ducking under an arrow, like a lot of people think. They're basically uh, uh, coiling up their legs like springs to jump away from that sound uh, of, the, of, the arrow go- of the arrow being fired. And, but it's the noise of your bow that they're jumping away from that noise of that bow. And they're kind of coiling their legs up, bending their legs so that they can jump away or bound away. And a lot of people think they're ducking under the arrow flying. Well, a deer can't see the arrow mm-hmm. flying toward them. It's just them doing their natural reaction to get away from that sound, whatever it is, because it's not a natural mm. sound. And they do the same thing with my cameras. So the, the good thing is, is that even though I've had problems with, you know, that happening and I've I've taken weeks at a time to try to photograph a particular buck and, you know, let him get used to the sound because I'll take like one shot of a deer on the first day he comes in. And he'll run away and, you know, as if you had shot at him and missed at him, you know, with a bow and arrow and Mm. I won't get another opportunity till the next day. And then the next day, you know, what I imagine in my head is a deer. hears that sound. They run away from it. They're back in the woods, a couple hundred yards away and that they're thinking, oh, man, you know, what was that? But they think, you know, well, that didn't hurt. I'm not bleeding. I'm not hurting. I'm not in pain, whatever that was. I don't know what it was, but. It didn't hurt me. So Mm. then the next day they come back and I'll fire off two shots, boom, boom, two in a row. And they'll run away from that. And then they go off and they're like, okay, well, that, that's that same noise, but it was twice, you know, I, I wouldn't hurt next day. They'll come back and I'll shoot three shots and I'll keep doing that until after a week or 10 days or two weeks. They'll let me shoot motor drive sequences 10 frames at a, at a time and shoot thousands of photos of them. And they're not afraid of it wow. because they've gotten acclimated to the sound because they they figure, well, that sounds not hurting me. It's not dangerous. It's not going to hurt me. And so they don't they're not fearful of it anymore. Now, the good thing for me coming up is that I uh, am really excited about some new camera technology that's coming out in, in uh Sony. Uh, has had this technology for a few years. Canon is coming out with some new cameras out that are called mirrorless cameras. And they've had one camera come out uh, like a year ago called the R camera. Um, but it was the first one and it didn't have the speed and all the things that I really needed in a camera. But the good thing about the, the new mirrorless cameras that are coming out is it has no mirror which my cameras have a mirror. you got to look through a viewfinder and a mirror and all that stuff. That's uh, called a single-lens reflex camera. Mm-hmm. Well, with these new cameras, they basically have no sound, no, no sound of the shutter or anything because it has a, an electronic shutter capability that basically opens the shutter with no moving parts. So wow. it's absolutely silent. It's basically like shooting with a video camera uh, or Where's, shooting video with your phone where there's, there's no a- sound whatsoever. So that's what I'm really excited about, you know, with, with my photography. I think that's going to make me basically sitting in a blind blacked out, uh, basically doing hardly any movement inside that blind, having no scent because of the, the Ozonics ozone technology, and then having no sound inside. Those are the three things deer are fearful of movement, smell, and, uh, sound. And I will have none of, you know, I've always had to deal with, you know, At least two of those. Well, the Ozone took care of one of those things. And now the third one that's left is sound. With the new uh, mirrorless cameras, I won't have to worry about that either.
0: Wow. You see, I I already thought you were a ninja with it. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) No. (laughs) Just just in general, now you're going to be like a super ninja with this new technology.
1: Exactly. I can't tell you how excited I am about that, man. uh, That's going to make my life so much easier because they're going to have no sound whatsoever from inside that blind and i photograph a lot of you know hunted deer that are super super freaked out spooky i mean they'll turn inside out if they hear one click Mm -hmm. and i i you know i may not have another chance at that deer and so this is gonna just take you know just make my life so much better having no sound whatsoever so i'm really excited about that but that's not going to be coming out until sometime later this summer or this fall
0: wow Well, I I can't wait to see or hear about, you know, your successes with, with, like I said, this new camera, this new technology. Now, um, real quick, uh, we're going to round this out with, uh, you know, two more questions. Um, You mentioned having to, you know, move your blind sometimes. Um, Do you move your blinds like in the middle of the day? Um, And if you do, how do you, you know, you know, move, move your blind with, you know without spooking you know the animal you're trying to photograph
1: um i will do it a lot of times middle of the day or at night a lot of times if i'm sitting in a blind and uh you know things just aren't right and the deer clear out of the field or there's no deer there or whatever i won't do it if there's deer in the field and i won't even leave a blind if there's deer in the field uh a lot of times um i'll do but i will uh move blinds at night Um, and so what I'll do a lot of times is I'll try to sneak out and then I try to have something else spook the deer. If like the, let's say they're going to be there all night kind of thing. Um, Mm -hmm. I'll call the landowner and have him drive in and pick me up, you know, like on a Polaris Ranger or something or in his pickup or whatever, so that they, they sense danger, not from my blind, but from an outside source. Um, not everybody has that opportunity, but what I'll do a lot of times is I'll sneak out of the blind. I'll wait until it's like totally pitch black. I'll sit in the blind for an hour after dark, waiting for it to get dark enough. And what I do is I will sneak out of there as quietly as I can. I'll unzip the zippers and, you know, try to get out of the thing as quietly as I can. And what I'll do, I'll do a couple of different things. Sometimes if they're really, really close, I'll actually start snorting making a snorting sound with my mouth to try to make them think that there's a deer that's spooking, you know, in, in that field. But the other thing that I'll do a lot of times is I will sneak out under the cover of darkness, even though the deer can still see your shape and I'll bend over at the waist and basically make my body into an L shape and have my head out in front of me and basically just watch the ground, you know, two feet in front of me because my head's just three feet off the ground And basically try to put myself kind of in the shape of a deer. And so I'm not an upright human being that they immediately recognize as a human. They're like, what's that? I've never seen anything like that. And so they, they think that it's kind of in an animal shape. And so I'll sneak out. Sometimes they'll snort at you and stuff like that. But usually they'll just watch you leave the field. And, you know, it's at night. So they're not, you know, they don't have as complete, you know, vision as they do during the day. Uh, Mm -hmm. But they can still see your shape and all that kind of stuff. And so I'll get out of there and then I'll come back with my vehicle or the ATV or whatever I got, you know, uh, put in there and, um, you know, I'll move the blind at night or sometimes I'll do it middle of the day. The middle of the day is the best time, my favorite time to do it because you don't have to worry about deer being in the field, but I'll spook them off at night with my vehicle with the headlights on come into the blind they'll spook out of the field and then i'll move it then with you know the headlights of my truck and a headlamp and stuff like that um but i will you know i will try to not move it a whole lot because if you move it you know like 50 yards or something like that that's going to kind of freak them out the next time they show up because they're going to be like man that was a big change but if Mm -hmm. you only move it 10 yards 20 yards something like that they're usually not going to be affected by that so it depends if you're in woods you can move it less because their vision their vision is smaller than you can in an open scenario um Mm -hmm. like an open field or something like that so you want to move your blind as little as you can as you have to but i do it as much as i have to and based on how far i have to move it from my experience i'll think you know what i need to let this thing sit here for a couple more days because i had to make a big move with it Mm -hmm. Um, but if it's just 10 yards or 10 feet or something like that left or right to be able to you know, photograph around a tree or whatever the situation is, if it's small movements and they've already gotten used to it after three days to a week, then I'll have no problem in sitting in it the next day.
0: All right. Nice. All right. So final question, sir. Um, I would like to know, is there a tip or trick that you could share or, or something or a piece of advice that you believe, um, every any and every rookie hunter new hunter should know um that'll help them get you know their target animal or even this the same tip or trick that you could offer um an up-and-coming wildlife photographer to help them get that perfect photo is there something that you believe all those people should know
1: well i would say probably the thing that would help anybody is to just spend more time in the woods What it's what i call time in the field Um, Mm -hmm. if you will, you know, and you don't even have to do it with a gun or bow or anything like that, but spending time in the off season, getting to know the animals and carry a camera with you Mm -hmm. will basically extend your season because you're able to shoot before bow season even starts. You can photograph bucks in velvet, videotape bucks in velvet, you know, photograph them, you know, and video them when they're shedding their velvet, you're going to learn the more time that you're out there watching these deer observing them, the more you're going to be able to understand their movements and figure out from one year to the next. You'll think, okay, last year I was out here with my camera and in the same situation, same conditions, the deer were doing this or they were hitting this certain kind of food source. Um, and you just build your knowledge base in your mind and fill your, fill your mind with memories, fill your mind with information, fill your mind with, you know, all the things that you've observed deer doing in the past And, you know, I've got, you know, 30-something years of that. Um, Most hunters, you know, don't have that uh, kind of stuff. But you'll notice the older hunters, the guys that have done it for longer, they Mm -hmm. are the guys that, you know, tend to kill the bigger deer, have the most success, the most experienced guys. And so if you're wanting to try to kill bigger bucks, the more time you're out there in the woods, the more time in the field that you can be out there, whether it's deer and deer season or not, the Mm -hmm. more you're going to learn about those deer in particular buck that you may be wanting to hunt. Every day Mm -hmm. that you can be out there, every day that you, you know, based on your job, you know, based on days off, all that's going to come into effect, obviously. But the more time that you can be in the field, the more successful you're going to be. Everybody asks me on DMs and on messages, how do you photograph these big deer? Basically, I tell them there's two things. Number one, time in the field. The more time you spend out there, the more chance you're going to have of being successful and learning from your mistakes in the past successes and, and uh, bad days that you had and kind of putting that into a, a uh, information bank in your mind that you rely on to be able to, you know, make the right moves the next year or the next hunt or whatever. The other thing is hunting uh, or going to a property that has, you know, the the size of the deer that you're hoping to kill Uh, whether that's a, you know, a, a uh, 125 inch, you know, Pope and young buck or 170 inch, you know, Boone and Crockett deer, or just, you know, a fork antler deer, whatever your, whatever your goal is, uh, you've got to go to the places that have the deer, like you're wanting to hunt. And so that's why I travel all over the United States, uh, photographing deer, because I go to the very best, you know, States, you know, I go to what I call the big buck States that have the most Boone and Crockett deer that are killed off of, out of that state Um, I will go to the best County within that state. Um, I'll go to the best properties within that state. And so by spending more time at places where big bucks live, you're going to have a higher chance of success. Now, not everybody has the opportunity to go hunting all over the United States. Maybe you've got a family property or you got a lease or whatever, but you know, if, if you, you know, the problem is with that is that you're going to have, you know, a less chance of success at killing a big deer. If no deer live there. So you've got mm-hmm. to try to go to the places that big deer live. And the best way to let deer be big on your property is to let them grow up, not shoot them at one and a half years old or two and a half years old, or even three years old, let them grow up till they're four years old, five years old and allow them to be able to realize their full antler potential because they don't grow their biggest racks until they're at their peak of their life, which is at four, five, six, seven years old. If you shoot them at one years old, They may be only a little eight point buck, but by four years old, they may be a big 160 inch 10 point or five years old, you know, bigger than that. So Mm -hmm. the, the best way to improve the chances of bigger bucks being on your property is to not shoot them at a young age. Of course you got, you know, neighbors, other landowners next to you, they may shoot them. But the thing is, if you shoot a buck, I saw some research years ago in North American Whitetail Magazine They said, if you shoot a buck at one and a half years old, he's only got a 25% chance of making it to two years old the next year, if, if you pass him up. Okay. Mm. But if you, so he's got a 75% chance that he's not going to make it to the next year. He's going to get hit by a car. He's going to, you know, die for, you know, of some disease, or he's going to get shot by the, the guy next to you or one of your hunting buddies, even on your own property. Mm-hmm. but the thing is he's got a 25 percent chance of making it to the next year but what happens if you shoot that deer he has a zero percent chance of making it to the next year okay let's say the deer makes it from one and a half to two and a half the next year if you don't if he walks under you and you shoot him he has a zero percent chance of making it to three years old in a bigger rack and being a big buck okay if you let him pass he's got a 25 percent chance Okay. So every year he still got a 25% chance, which if you add up all those percentages, there's a very low percentage chance that a buck's going to make it to five years old when everybody's shooting them at a young age. Yeah. So by letting a deer grow up and maturing to at least three years old, at least four years old, you're going to have the, you know, you're going to up the chances of big bucks being on your property. But if you're killing Mm. them at a young age, you're going to have very little chance of, of ever shooting a big, big deer. Unless one just happens to walk through your property and you're at the right place at the right time from somebody else's property.
0: Got it. Got so, it.
1: So anyway, time in the field and going where big bucks are. And if you you can make your own property a big buck property, if you if you're the sanctuary and you let your bucks grow up, and they're not every time they walk out, you're shooting at them.
0: Yep. Just quality deer management.
1: Exactly. Quality right. deer management.
0: Not nice. Wow, you you definitely dropped gems today, brother. And I truly truly appreciate that. You're welcome. All right, dude. Thank you so much for taking the time out to you know speak with me today. I, I truly learned a lot. I'm fairly certain uh, my listeners learned um, just as much as I did. So, thank you, brother.
1: Hey, it's my pleasure. Enjoyed it, brother.
0: All right, man. You have a blessed day, man. I will. You too. Oh, oh, oh! Okay, uh, you know what? Um, before before we, you know, quit recording right now, Lance. Um, why don't we? Um, why don't you let my listeners know exactly where they could
1: find your content? Well, um, they can go to my website and uh, look at some of my photos there, and uh, you know, get my calendars and you know, order prints and stuff like that from me at Mm -hmm. www.lance-kruger.com and that's l-a-n-c-e and then the little hyphen that's halfway up and then k-r-u-e-g-e-r dot c-o-m Uh, or my instagram which i post to pretty much every day sometimes three or four times a day during hunting season um and that is just look under lance kruger uh under the same spelling uh the handle is at L-A-N-C-E underscore Kruger, K-R-U-E-G-E-R. And then on uh, Facebook, um, you can go to Lance Kruger Photography uh, and just spell it out. Lance Kruger Photography, three words, and you'll find me on uh, a search there on Facebook. So those are the three best ways to see my work, follow my stuff, and uh, see what I'm up to.
0: Perfect, perfect. I definitely would have done um, you and my listeners an injustice if I did uh, did, uh let them know exactly how to uh, to you know reach out and see your content so once again brother thank you for joining me today and you have an absolutely blessed day
1: you too thanks for having me i enjoyed it it was a blast
0: all right y'all hope you enjoyed that conversation with mr lance Kruger. um i'm probably gonna rewind that play it again and jot down some notes because i know i learned a lot hope you did too um and uh if you really did if you really enjoyed the conversation i would really like y'all do me the favor head to the review section of the platform you are listening to this on and hook a brother up with a five star rating i would truly truly appreciate it um aside from that y'all have a blessed one and remember to respect the journey even when it's not your own